You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. Roger coming to you on Monday the 25th of March. We've got an interesting show this week. We're going to be covering a couple of different events that happen and as well giving our thoughts on Google's new project that's going to be coming up. So let's start with what actually just dropped today and that was Sony's state of play. Vince, go ahead. Yeah, it was uh, around 5 o'clock Eastern time today. I mean, we knew about it ahead of time. I completely forgot about it until about 10 minutes prior. I was like, oh yeah, this is a thing. But it was just a quick little, uh, similar to a Nintendo Direct, of just, here's a video, here's some stuff, see you later. It was about, like, 20 minutes long, I want to say. It wasn't a huge ton of things. It was, like, counting, like, the the little uh, montages. It was maybe a dozen games. But they led off with something that I didn't know they were working on. And, Roger, I'm sure you're pretty excited for this. Iron Man VR. It works perfect with VR systems. Like it, it will be actually probably if it's well done, quite a bit of fun because you've got your frame of reference, so you're not going to get nauseous. And then, as long as the targeting works effectively, then you'll be fine. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what more they bring to it because that'll only last you so long, right? But just from what we saw, granted, that was not actual gameplay, they said too, they showed, but the concept behind it again could be a lot of fun and if i like the art style for for vr it'll be nice and again it the flying is not a problem as long as you get that frame of reference so it, it i'll pick it up for sure yeah I, I don't think there's a superhero more perfect for vr than iron man because you can have all the on-screen uh, user interface stuff and it like it fits and it make it's it doubles down on that first person perspective which i think that's a great yeah. there is literally a a storyline right now in iron man about virtual reality and his very expensive very expansive vr system um so that's kind of cool and i'm kind of irritated that they didn't announce this at c2e2 where i literally just was and VR was actually a theme for the state of play. They showed off a handful of VR games uh, with No Man's Sky, the No Man's Sky Beyond update, which is coming out this summer, in addition to all the other stuff it's adding to the game, is also going to finally unlock the VR mode within that. And I would assume that's just a great sit back with your headset on for a while and chill cruising around space game. <laughs> well, clearly now I'm going to have to pick up the PS4 version. I've been playing the PC version. But if there's enough VR stuff in the PS4 version, I will gladly lay down the money for that. Because I still adore that game. And if it's well done and gives you enough in VR, um, it could actually be a really... Uh, I don't want to say waste of time, but that's just it. It'll be a fantastic waste of your time kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then we got another really good look at a game that we've seen a lot of over the past couple of years, Blood and Truth, the awesome crime, spy, crazy action, just completely insane. And every time I see this game, I'm blown away with what they're able to do with the VR. And now we're actually getting story to go along with the cool visuals and gameplay that we've been seeing with spies and double crosses and all kinds of crazy shit. And it looks fantastic. It looks great. And these guys, we know that they know what they're doing with a VR based on the demo disc uh, for the PSVR, and uh, which, again, I can't remember the fucking game that they did for that. But it's I've got complete faith in this game. I, I'm actually looking forward to playing it. Mm-hmm. And then another game, I, I believe it was uh, revealed with uh, VR, but it's also coming to regular PlayStation that's very interesting to me was Observation, which is a, a sci-fi thriller sort of game. Don't know exactly what's going on, but you're on a space station. Shit's going wrong. That's really all you need to know. And the cool twist here is you as the player character, you're Hal. 
you're the AI that's running the space station. So you're interacting with the crew and stuff is through security cameras and all that stuff. So it's, it's a little bit Five Nights at Freddy's, a little bit Event Horizon. And um, that sounds cool as shit. Cannot fucking wait to try that game. And of course, speaking of Five Nights at Freddy's, Five Nights at Freddy's VR, if that's your thing. Yeah, <laughs> we also saw a couple like cool little VR games, uh, like Mini Mac, Table of Tales, which are like they they just have like that cool like VR board game feel, where one of them was almost like a like a deck building sort of game, like Magic the Gathering meets Warhammer. It kind of looked like for me, like positioning troops and stuff like that, which looked fun, and like, just a lot of really cool creative VR stuff in addition. And the non VR front, uh, one of the cool ones they showed off was Ready Set Heroes which is just this cute little, like, mascot, uh, animal fantasy dungeon crawler game with a very endearing art style. And the, the premise here is it's a two-versus-two competition of a race through a dungeon with a final battle at the end, and whoever gets to the like gets through the dungeon faster will have a small advantage of there. Just seems like a fun little game that uh, I'm sure will be a blast if you can get together with a bunch of friends to play it. I agree, yeah. And we got another big look at uh, Concrete Genie, which we talked about. I think it was from E3 uh, with which is the cool like paintbrush graffiti imaginary friend monsters game, which seems simultaneously uplifting and depressing. And you're going to laugh. You're going to cry. But it just looks fantastic. The more I see of that game, the more it, it's not just that I'm looking forward to playing it but they're putting out a game that's dealing with bullying in a way that is kind of uplifting. It gives you that 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 step back and appreciating how those creative endeavors and things like that, which for some is you're living in your head, but it can be beautiful and you can make something beautiful out of it and let that imagination come out and and kind of deal with what you're going through through your your art and and I really cannot wait to support this studio and give them my money and the fact that there's going to be a VR component as well where you can fucking draw oh that that's a fucking cherry on top for me I cannot wait to be playing this game yeah, I, I, I'm really interested in seeing just how much like player input is, is going to be part of it. So I would imagine most of the monster designs are pretty much pre-gen, but there has to be some creative element to it as well. Yeah. We got our, at this point, hopefully final look at uh, the last of the walking Sons of Anarchy. Uh, Days Gone, Sony's zombie apocalypse biker survival game, which... I still am completely unimpressed with it, but it comes out next month, so at least it'll stop taking places in these shows. You know, if it was the only one or one of the few that had come out, I'd be impressed. I would be looking forward to playing this. I'd be curious about the story. But it, we're inundated with these kind of stories. I, I really am not interested in playing at all. It's just such a mashup of the most generic things exactly. I can think of. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, I'm sure it'll be perfectly fine. It just doesn't do anything to grab me. Well, you know, it's funny because it made me think of, and this is out of left field, but we watched Aquaman recently. and after Which it, is perfectly fine, but nothing special. Well, not just that, but after it finished, um, our, our son turned and looked at us and said, was there a single original idea? in the movie and i'd been thinking the exact same thing everything was a trope literally oh, yeah. it's more nothing it's yeah exact. but yeah but my my point is that's how i feel about this game every time i see something about it it's literally every single trope we've already seen time and time again but I want to end on a high note because we also got another trailer of an upcoming game coming out next month. And that was Mortal Kombat 11 uh, here with the old school versus new school trailer, which uh, officially confirms that Liu Kang, Kung Lao and Jax will be playable in the game, which none of that is a big surprise. But it fully dives into the concept of the game, which is fixing the fucked up timeline that we have and literally having the characters from the past the classic versions of the characters interact with the now the dark 
future versions of the characters, which in the cases of like Kung Lao and Liu Kang, they were like nice, pure uh, Shaolin monks. And now they're literally lords of the underworld. So there's going to be some cool stuff there. But thus far, the highlight of this game for me has been Johnny Cage because the Johnny Cage that we have through Mortal Kombat X and now in 11 is not the cocky jackass movie star that everybody knows and loves from the older games and the movies he's matured he's like a proper functioning adult he's a good dad to his daughter and seeing that character growth has been one of the great surprises of the franchise like a franchise that has pretty much just been known for being completely irreverent and over the top in every way has shown that it can do good storytelling with its characters and I, I really appreciate that and you don't get any better point here when you have old Johnny Cage literally meeting his younger self and going, would you get a look at this asshole? <laughs> so it's just going to be a fun game. And I, I just wanted to give him a shout out for actually doing some legitimately great stuff at the same well, time. There's also some real big news about that as well, because of the game, not just the story side of it. It's going to be on the Nintendo switch. That's huge. If you remember like back in the day when like Mortal Kombat was first a thing, Nintendo was like all adamant about like, no, you need to like scrub the blood out and we can't have That's why everybody got the Genesis version. Exactly. But now they're just like, fuck it. Bring it here. Put it on your portable, your console. Let us play. And considering how some of the other games that have been super high, like FPS and high detail have worked, it, like even like Dragon Ball Fighters and stuff like that, like it's all gorgeous. I can't wait to see this on the Switch. Mm hmm. Because with a fighting game, you don't need a great amount of processing power. It's a stage and two character models with some special effects thrown in for projectiles and stuff. It's something that the Switch can do, I would imagine, just as well as the other consoles. But yeah, that wraps up uh, State of Play. Apparently, this is going to be a thing Sony's going to be doing because they said they're not doing E3 this year. Uh, PlayStation Experience hasn't been a thing for quite a while. So I think they're kind of jumping on that Nintendo train of just doing these pre-made videos and we all love the Nintendo Directs, so I don't exactly have a problem with that. So we'll stay tuned for whenever the next one happens. What do you mean the PlayStation experience isn't a thing? It's still a thing. They didn't do it last year. Yes, they did. Pretty sure they didn't. Yeah, they did. They definitely did. Okay. No, I'm just saying. Yeah. I, I thought it wasn't a thing, but I could be mistaken. No. Nope. PlayStation experience skipped 2018. Did it? Yeah, because remember, 2017 was awful. Yep. <laughs> Which one was the one that was not in the uh, in a normal theater, but like in a barn theater kind of thing? Was that? That was their E3 last year. Oh, maybe that's what I was thinking about. Okay. And then they yeah. did that weird little show prior to Tokyo Game Show this year as well. Well, last year. Right. Okay. Well, whatever. So let's move on then to the Nindies because we got another one of those as well. Joe, go ahead. Nindies, oh man, this was a busy one. Uh, so I guess in no particular order, we got some interesting news uh, as far as like some other games starting to come to the Switch that honestly, I'm surprised have taken this long. A Nuclear Throne being one of them. A fantastic, procedurally generated twin stick shooter. That's a ton of fun and definitely is right at home on sort of the arcade handheld uh, style of the Switch. Absolutely perfect. I'm super happy about that. We also got news of Blaster Master Zero Two that was actually available at the time of the Nindies thing going live. And if you've liked Master Blaster Zero, which was a reimagining of the original game, this is more of that, but now in space. Uh, so it just compounds on that sort of pride and true formula, adds some extra things, makes the bosses even more ridiculous because, of course, you are in space. But it it looks absolutely fantastic. I'm actually going to be starting to play it after I'm done with Devil May Cry uh, because I loved Blaster Master Zero. I don't know about you guys. The last Blaster Master I played was on the NES, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I love Blaster Master, yeah. Now, another port that is going to be coming to the Nintendo Switch in April is Cuphead, which is something that we talked about the last time uh, there was anything to do with Cuphead was that we wanted to see it on the Nintendo Switch. Well, we're going to go ahead and get our, our wish here, and it should have everything that's been alive in that game up to current. Definitely uh, so buying that's it. Yeah, definitely but, buying it. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. I, I will rebuy this game for the Switch. Well, that's the thing. I Tristan and I were playing on the PC, and uh, and I saw this, and I said, fuck that. I'm just going to buy it for here, and we can finish it on the, the Switch. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too. Like, I think the, the couch co-op multiplayer that's built into Cuphead, I think, will work better for a console like the Switch than it does necessarily for PC or even some of the other consoles, just because you can pick it up and take it with you and, you know, bring it to your friends, which I think is a little bit more in line with the spirit of that type of game. Well, if they're doing the same kind of thing with um, the sharing of the controllers that is in, like, other games, so you each get one Joy-Con kind of thing, then you can play it anywhere. And that's the thing with, with us finishing it, because it is fairly fucking challenging at points so we don't sit down to play all that often on the pc but if it's just a matter of booting it up on the switch and we just play on the couch or wherever else yeah definitely now another game that uh was announced that i was actually had no idea was coming out and i was super excited for uh double fine is producing a new game called rad it's a third-person top-down action game where you are a young boy traveling through a procedurally generated post-apocalyptic uh, mutated wild land. And it's called Rad because of radiation. Go figure. Uh, and you use the power of mutation to sort of buff yourself up and go crazy. It looked fantastic from the trailer. Like, I'm, I sat there and watched the trailer a couple times. The art style is very much that double-fine, like, weird 80s thing that they got going on i like the idea that the kid's walking through a wasteland and has flowers coming up behind him because he's radioactive as heck like and the it just looks fun like it looks like a great ripper in time and the one that made me lose my damn mind the one that i was so excited for that i was actually clapping my hands and stamping my feet at work like a little kid is well the Cadence of Hyrule. Now, what is that, you might ask? Well, you might remember that one of my favorite roguelike games to come out in recent years was Crypt of the Necrodancer, a rhythm roguelike that just completely consumed me for a very long time. Well, they're doing that, but with Legend of Zelda, so that you are going literally through Hyrule in a the, the same type of gameplay, that rhythm, ro- the rhythm roguelike gameplay, but with Link and Zelda and with 25 remixed songs from all throughout the history of the Zelda franchise. I could not shove my wallet at the monitor fast enough. I need this game in my life. I don't know when it's coming out. They didn't actually say sometime this year. I don't think they gave a specific, but holy shit, does it look good? Uh, The art style looks absolutely fantastic. looks like it's uh, sort of like a stylized, like almost like not cell shading, but that that sort of like Super Nintendo esque, that kind of pixel art. Deal. Yeah, but not but not as rough. Like right. So Crypt of the Necrodancer was eight bit. It was that eight bit pixel art. Here is Super Nintendo. It's very sixteen bit. It's very polished. Very like pretty, and I fucking love it. I love everything about this. It, it's so fucking brilliant. Like. Whoever thought up of this idea, I hope they got a raise because it's it's fantastic. I can't wait to hear like the the dance remix of Gerudo Valley or whatever they're gonna do. Oh god, yes. <laughs> and now like give me more crazy mashups. Give me like a dead cells Metroid or something. Like Exactly. I, yeah. I want all of this. That's the thing. This opens up the doors for all manner of different kind of crossovers, and that's what's very exciting as well. Well, I think the other thing that's really important here to note, too, is that Nintendo has been doing something recently that they they really haven't done before. And if you look at what they did with, like, Ubisoft and the Rabbids stuff, exactly. the, the Mario Rabbids, and now this, they're letting go of some of their IPs and letting other studios go to town with them. Smartest and thing they could do. It is absolutely the smartest thing they could do because they're finally getting their own heads out of their asses and saying, go make us money because that's going to go make the money like this absolutely will. They need more crossovers. They absolutely do. And so, that was the end, right? Yeah, that was it for the uh, the uh, the Nindies. So, okay. Uh before we get into the Google stuff, Marty, you wanted to talk about the Bloodlines 2 announcement. Yeah. So, uh Onyx Path Paradox 
several left of old white wolf uh, announced uh, through Paradox Entertainment, the people that made the 4X game that I'm addicted to, Stellaris, uh, Bloodlines 2, which is set in Seattle, wherein a series of people have been turned into vampires, and you are among them. And it looks to be an old World of Darkness kind of game, meaning you're going to play one of the original 12 clans in a, I think Seattle is a Camarilla city. It's been like 20 years, guys. Don't hold me to that like i don't remember uh and you're going to learn your vampire powers rising power and figure out what's going on with the city uh spoiler alert what this whole like basic storyline is about like it's straight out like the sabat players guide of like how the sabat attacks a city so unless it's like not old world of darkness it's gonna be weird i don't know well um yeah go ahead the the timing on this is actually really really perfect because the for if you love it or hate it the new version of the tabletop book just printed and just released the revised yes. non shitty version of it actually yeah the give us our license back we're gonna fix this version yeah the, um, it's, the, it's the fifth version of the old world of darkness right yeah it it is uh, it is the fifth edition but here here's the thing. They cleaned up a lot of stuff, and from looking at the trailer, it actually looks like, at least from the little bits I've seen, they're following pretty close to the book. And that's pretty cool, because the original Bloodlines was a game that I think is, at this point, loved by a lot of people. Uh, it's still a very fun game, but it played very close to the tabletop. And that's why people really liked it, because you knew what the skills were, you knew what the abilities were, you knew what you were getting into before you got into it. It was very intuitive. Uh, here it looks like it's probably going to be very much the same. Uh, and I'm really okay with that, especially because they showcased in that little trailer, that little reveal trailer, almost every single one of the clans. And it yeah. was amazing. And that is one of the things that I really did like about uh, old world of darkness and uh, full disclosure I interned at white wolf during the heyday of old world of darkness um, it was a fun place to um, there's still a lot there I am excited to see where they're going to go with it uh, I just I haven't played a vampire game I've liked um, in I don't know forever so I'm wondering this is something that might pull me back in just to see what it's like uh, it's also, uh, you know, it's been 15 years since I've done this, and it's kind of a a good move forward. So, well, I think vampire is one of those things that for a lot of people is something you can kind of grow out of. Like, not everybody. Obviously, there's still many people who have been playing it for 20 plus years and mm -hmm. are still very dedicated to it. And that, that's great. But for some of the more casual fans like yeah it's like okay i'm done beating being the broody edgelord you know uh, oh everything's so terrible i'm gonna live forever type so like it's just I, I think it's natural that over time some people will grow out of it but something like this can bring you back into it you, you said broody ed edgelord and then went on to describe basically everything from the original uh, world of darkness lines except well, i mean yeah it's pretty easy to sum up forever, right <laughs> Rudy Edgelord, who is, you know, world is ending and their people are dying. They're already dead. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But another, it's fun. Another interesting thing I thought it would actually uh, be rel like it, it's topical for today's current climate of video games. Uh, they have flat out said in the making of this game, they will not accept any exclusivity deals, period, for any platform. They want it to go as, as far as it'll go. Oh, right, and they did say that they will be building off and adding new clans to begin with, uh, or excuse me, adding new clans after launch, which I also found interesting, uh, suggesting to me that they've got a long plan and to monetize that because uh, vampire fans will want to buy their primary clan. I wonder, you know, if you've got 20 plus years of this product, you could have, like, I doubt you're going to get, like, the followers of Set dlc but hey you know what if why you wouldn't did, you that'd be interesting well because i don't know if they want to put that much uh that many resources into that development for that small of a return depending on where they're going to go well, with this product th th that's the thing that i think is is 
interesting about this type of game setting, right? Because all it is at that point is skins and specializations because everybody has access to the same skill types. It's just some are better at it than others. So like you can app, the only difference would be like, uh, what do you got? You got the Zmise flesh crafters. You have the Astromites with the blood discipline. Uh, the followers are set with like their ability to shape shift slightly and talk with uh, snakes. But it's like for them. And then you have uh, uh, Tenebrae, the, uh, the, the umbral ones where they yeah. can control uh, Lissandra. So like e even then, like those are the weird outlier clans that they could add later that people absolutely loved and still like LARP with and play tabletop. Like they flock to those clans, but they leverage what's already in the game and add maybe one new skill or one right. specialized skill. So even then, if it's a, based on a dot 10 system, who the fuck cares? Throw them in there. I could see them doing that. I'll pay, you know, $5 for the ability to unlock fucking you know, Asomites, let me go ahead and play with my blood cleaners. And but on top of that, even if you're not interested in playing the actual clan, they're still going to have to add in NPCs and mm -hmm. locations and quest lines associated with them. So even if you're not want wanting to play it, it's still going to add content to the game that you're probably going to want to experience. And I guess it should also be noted, too, that, like, the first Bloodlines game is still kept up by fans. That's what I wanted to know. Like, how well, moddable by people is this game going to be? Well, here's the thing. Like, it's not just fan. Well, at this point, it's fans. But because yes. Bloodlines came out and the studio almost immediately got shuttered. Yep. So the 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 developers for the game actually they started, started the working on this fan project with the community. Mm -hmm. They released like unofficial patches for the game that fixed bugs that they weren't able to fix while they were still there. Uh, add finish adding in quest lines that they weren't able to finish writing. So there was a like, new quest released last year. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. At this point, like there's a lot of fan content added, but if you actually want to play like the perfect vision of what the original bloodlines should have been, there's a patch for that. And it uh, lets you run in high res widescreen resolutions as well. Mm -hmm. Nice. I, I am just very skeptical of um, most old World of Darkness products, unless I know who the the teams behind it. Just because I remember in the 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 last few days of old White Wolf supplements that, and I know it's not White Wolf is not connected to this, but the the residual taste of buying these products or seeing these products is still with me. Um, I remember Rokia, the blood stim, uh, blood dim tides, and like mm -hmm. some weird vampire books that I just did not care for um but i do think like revamping bloodlines to getting people back into this type of game system like reintroducing it will be a lot of fun as long as you know they don't shit the bed i mean let's be honest bioware's not making these kind of games anymore someone has to oh you know now rest in peace bioware <laughs> All right. Well, there's a Dragon Age game coming out. We don't we, we don't want to go <laughs> jump too far ahead. No, it, it's dead. It's dead. Dragon Age is no more. From vampires to bunnies then, Vince. <laughs> yes, uh, this weekend was FanFest Tokyo, the third FanFest for the year for Final Fantasy XIV, where we got what should be the last of our reveals for this summer's Shadowbringers expansion. And I have to say, I absolutely love how they've been presenting this with the primary trailer. So when Realm Reborn and Heaven's Word came out, it was just, here's a trailer, here's what the expansion's going to be about. And they've evolved their marketing style over the years because when Stormblood came out a couple years ago, the announced trailer was like, okay, yeah, here's some cool stuff. And then they released an extended version of the trailer, which essentially just tacked on a couple extra minutes to the back of the trailer going, oh, here's more stuff that we didn't show you before, showing off uh, the Eastern continents and the samurai class. I'm like, okay, that was really cool. But what they've been doing with Shadowbringers is it's essentially been the same trailer beginning to end, but they've been adding layers in and splicing scenes in amongst the trailer with each reveal and the first trailer that they released at uh, las vegas fan fest was just the general concept of here's how it's going to affect your playable character as okay you've got to embrace your darkness uh to go fight the the overpowering light okay that's a cool concept 
And then at Paris Fan Fest a couple a couple months ago, it was like, okay, here's now the changes that we're making to the other important characters in the story and intersplicing more layers on top of what we saw previously. And now here, not just adding in more footage, but actually building on what they did with the trailer. The, the previous editions of the trailer didn't have lyrics to the music. So it's just becoming more and more grand as it goes on. And now, okay, we know what we're doing with the hero. We know what we're doing with the supporting cast. Now this trailer is going to show off the world that we're experiencing, showing off the new areas, the new races, stuff like that. I think it's an absolutely brilliant way to build up hype with essentially just one trailer. I, I assume they started with the finished version and like whittled it down into the smaller versions. And it's it's been so exciting of watching each trailer as it premieres and picking out like the new stuff that's in there. Like it, it's fucking great. I love them for it. As you, for you're the only one of us that's playing right now. I, so I know. I well, I, I kind of installed it last time. <laughs> oh. that's my boy. Hey, I, mean, uh, uh, I mean, Twitch Prime gave me uh, another code. So because Sony was being a, a dick about recovering my account, and they told me that I couldn't recover it, but the, my email was being in use. So I got a new key from my Prime. So yeah, I'm back. Got a server for you if you want it. <laughs> All right. So I remember when I was talking about the uh, Paris Fan Fest trailer and my conspiracy theory for like time travel and stuff. I'm appending that because watching now the full trailer and like the full information, I'm like, okay, I'm getting a better idea of what they're doing here. So uh, for anybody who's viewed the trailer, at the beginning of the trailer, we see the Warrior of Light, the cinematic stand-in for the playable character, wandering through this desolate field. And the whole thing is, like, he gets confronted by this angel we now know as Innocence and, like, cycles through all the classes that he's learned uh, throughout the cinematics. So in 1.0, he was an archer. 2.0, he was a warrior. 3.0, he was a dragoon. 4.0, he was a monk and then a samurai. We're now in 5.0, he's becoming a dark knight. I'm like, okay, that's a cool concept of showing the evolution of the character. But I was like, wait a minute. Why is it starting with the 1.0 version of this? Like, he doesn't do that anymore. And it occurred to me, this isn't like him going through what he did in the past. He's starting off in the past and has these flashes of the future. Because we go to find out, like, with the, the new weird uh, Crystal Tower guy that's added in, he's not talking about preventing a catastrophe. The catastrophe has always already happened, and they have to go back and make it unhappen. They're literally rewriting history. So I'm appending my time travel statement and going, no, they're not time traveling, but this mysterious... Uh, person is actually literally lifting the player character out of the past and bringing him into the future and that's where we see uh in the trailer like everything's gone to shit because the warrior of light did not exist in the timeline at that point and everything's falling apart and i i still don't know what they're doing but it's giving me these crazy theories and i fucking love it <laughs> Uh, the next big thing they showed off here in the trailer, uh, once they're exploring the new realms, is officially showing off the Dancer class. Uh, the Dancer is going to be a ranged DPS class, so it's going to kind of slot into the same party role as the Bard and the Machinist, where it's going to do DPS, but it's also going to provide party-wide buffs. Uh, so their attack skills are going to be using throwing weapons. We see them in all the trailers here using chakrams, but they said they wanted to specifically phrase it as throwing weapons so that they could use kunai, shuriken, uh, other stuff than just chakrams, and that's some cool flavor stuff there. And then their actual battle dances that they do amidst their attacks will give buffs to the rest of the party, increasing their damage, mana regeneration, all that sort of stuff. They show off in the trailer some of the new areas. So what we're doing here with the, the concept of Shadowbringers is way back in the olden times, uh, pre-history of the game worlds, uh, there was Hydaelyn, the goddess of light, and Zodiark, the god of darkness. And at one point, they split, shattered the reality into 14 separate shards, 14 separate realms, where the Eorzea, the realm that we experience, is the 14th. And what we're doing is we're going back to the first shard, the one that was wiped out by the light. And we're reaching this point 
just before this catastrophe has happened. Again, time travel elements. So what we see here is the Crystarium, this uh, city, this outpost that's been built amongst the Crystal Tower, which is now somewhat of a constant, we believe, between the realms and probably a way to, that you can travel between them because there is a Crystal Tower in Eorzea as well. And they also showed off this city called Yulmore, which bears a strong resemblance to Limsa Lemensa, one of the capital cities in the uh, base game, where you have this city full of decadence, literal fat cats, <laughs> who know the apocalypse is coming, and you're right, you just have just accepted it. Like, we're just going to live out the rest of our days in luxury, and the rest of the city's just gone to shit because it's chaos and famine and everybody's going to die and panicking. So they're doing some cool stuff there with how they're twisting what we know into this other dimension, which really peaked when they were talking about the new Beast Tribe. So Beast Tribes are, uh, in the games and throughout the expansions, they're essentially neutral factions that you do dailies for to get special rewards and stuff. It's a way to help level up characters and gain uh, cool stuff. So they announced that the second uh, Beast Tribe for Shadowbringers, the first one they announced was the Fairies, is going to be the Dwarves. And if you don't know, Final Fantasy Dwarves are fucking awesome. They're not mm -hmm. your traditional uh, Tolkien-esque Dwarves. They're like these weird little dudes who all you can see is their eyeballs because literally the rest of them is helmet and beard, <laughs> which in a lot of ways is just a throwback to... Uh, graphical limitations in the old days but i love how they've kept the style throughout all the years and i'm like okay and i was like wait a second because they started talking i was like the way that since everything started from the same creation point but split off afterwards all the various races and civilizations all existed together and were split up but have evolved differently so in uh, the, the first, this, this, uh, this shard that we're in, the dwarves started as the Lalafell, one of the playable races in Final Fantasy XIV, like the, the cute little like gnome-style race. This is the exact same race, just evolved down a different path, which is so cool <laughs> because now we're going to experience how these other things, like those fat cats I was talking about, those were the Mikote from uh, Eorzea, who are like, you know, forest dwellers, but here they've become completely civilized and to the point of excess. So there's going to be some really cool stuff to see there. On the subject of races now, we get a little controversy. <laughs> you know, so, I wanted to talk about this at some point, yeah. All right, so I'll, I'll give the basis and then I'll hand it off to you there, Joe. So uh, in the uh, Europe Fan Fest, they announced the Viera as a playable race. And here in Tokyo Fan Fest, they confirmed that the Viera will be a female-only race as playable characters and that they are adding in the Hrothgar, a cat-like race, which is going to be only male playable. Now, where a lot of this comes in is when 14 1.0 launched. The Mikote and the Rogadin were themselves gender-locked. Mikote were female-only, Rogadin were male-only, because it was essentially a carryover from the Final Fantasy XI days. And that's one of the things that the community really didn't like. And as part of the transition to 2.0, they made it a point to add in male Mikote and female Rogadin. And here they are God, eight years later, however long it's been, God. And they're making the same mistake again. And it's really just the same way it did all those years ago. It's not sitting well with the community. Go so ahead, I, this is the thing that, that I'm, I'm, I'm curious about because, and I understand that everybody wants to, to have what, you know, what they want to play represented in the games and things like that. But I don't remember there ever being male Viera in any of the other games, right? That is correct. And even then, like, I remember when they mentioned them in the games, they looked almost identical to females up until basically adulthood and rarely strayed from the homeland. So, like, I know they exist, but, like, we've never seen them. I, I guess I just, I don't understand why, I don't know. Like, it, it's, I, it's, I'm trying not to sound dismissive of it. I... But, you know, it, it, like I'm trying to think of how to phrase it properly, and I apologize. It's just, I would take what I can get now and then hope that they introduce it later like they did with the others. I, they, there's already been an interview with uh, Yoshi P where he said, like, we, we're, we're hearing what the fans are saying, and we will essentially take it under advisement. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I, I think where where kind of it, it lies is like yes, there is like an actual lore reason, at least previously in non fourteen games, for male Viera to not be playable. So they created this other race, and they're just like, yeah, they're just not going to have women. Like, there's no lore reason because the Hrothgar did not exist previously. As a matter of fact, they they, they went so far as with the whole, oh, they're the Hrothgar and Eorzea. What are they called in the first? They're the Ronso from Final Fantasy X. And female Ronsos, while not prevalent in the game, were present. So it, it just feels like, it, it's again, it doesn't bother me because it doesn't affect me, but I'm also not discounting the opinions of the people who yeah. are affected by it. But I, I think more to the point here and is is what it comes down to is, is a matter of resources and that as successful as Final Fantasy XIV has been, the one of the reasons it's been able to be so successful is Square keeps a very tight grip on the purse strings they operate under a very limited budget and i'm not defending i'm just explaining here where like there's so many things in the game like the inventory control system uh, the way you can only summon your retainers in certain points the fact that the housing system is limited that is 100 percent a result of corporate square not wanting to allocate any more funds and resources for server management so they have to work with what they've got and I think what we have here is they wanted to do these new races, but it was everything else. They had a budget they had to stick to. Because when you look at the Viera, essentially the Viera are the Elizen, the elf type race, mm -hmm. the female Elizen body type with a newly designed head. And what I see when I look at the Hrothgar is it's, at least in its basic build, it's the male Rogadin body type with like a, a, like some extra animation and skeletal structure and like texturing on it. But it it especially like when you look at the Hrothgar right now as they're implementing the game looks pretty rough. Like it doesn't even look all that good in my opinion, especially compared to the concept art. Like it just feels like this is all they could afford to do, uh, which I leads me to the hope of yes, down the line they they can expand upon it. It's just. It, it just doesn't feel good. Let me put it that way. But you know what does feel good? Blue mages. <laughs> Blue mages are in the game. Uh, people I know who are playing Blue Mage are having a blast with it. So the last thing I wanted to touch on here is uh, they announced the next raid layer. So we, we talked about uh, the uh, Yorha Dark Apocalypse, I think that's what it's called, which is like the Alliance raid. That's the big 24-man clusterfuck raid. But the actual like important story raids are a little smaller, and uh, this one is going to be Eden. They haven't said too much about it, uh, but the one big announcement they gave was that they are partnering with none other than Tetsuya Nomura, the lead designer of previous Final Fantasy games and Kingdom Hearts. Uh, as I doubt he's doing a lot of the mechanical stuff because he's a very busy man, but he has at least contributed character designs, and they showed off one of these characters, which... I mean, you look at it, you go, yeah, Nomura designed that. He has a certain uh, style of his own, of Gaia, uh, one of the NPCs you're going to be interacting with in Eden. And this is where I have a little bit of hope, because in addition to the gender-locked races, one of the other big controversies about Shadowbringers is that in Heaven's Word, they added a tank, a healer, and a DPS. In Stormblood, they added two DPS. And now in Shadowbringers, they're adding another tank and another DPS. So it's been a long time since they've added a new healer class. So people who like healers but are getting a little tired with the three that exist in the game and see other archetypes getting new options and new, new things to do are understandably a little upset. Uh, where I believe there's a glimmer of hope, uh, only because Yoshi P made such a point about mentioning it during the conference is that, as he says, uh, Nomura designed this character wielding this hammer. And he's like, that's great. It looks awesome. Hammers aren't a thing in our game. <laughs> Each job has a certain weapon assigned to it. Warriors always use axes. Paladins always use swords. So, and so on and so on. There is no class associated with a hammer. So for them to make such a big deal out of pointing out that this character has a hammer and joking about how they'll have to come up with something to do with that leads me to believe that if not at launch, at least at some point in the Shadowbringers uh, 
cycle, there's going to be a new healer class added using that hammer. And I hope so, because the healers are pissed. And I don't want to play a game with angry healers. No, it's usually not good for your health. It's not good for my Q times either. <laughs> but yeah, that wraps up our uh, Tokyo Fan Fest presentation for Shadowbringers. Uh, the tomorrow is patch 4.27, I think, whatever they're calling it. Essentially, it's the last main story patch. So the last of the main scenario quest line will be going live tomorrow uh, with subsequent patches, adding in like some, like rounding out some of the ongoing side quests that they do every expansion. And then we're going to start getting the quality of life changes, the, uh, the world visit system, which will allow you to visit other servers, as well as all like the, the upcoming combat changes. Those are going to be going live in the intervening because the expansion itself launches beginning of July with an early access at the end of June. So it's going to be a busy couple of months. I have a lot of story content to catch up on because I still haven't even finished the base Stormblood storyline because I took a good chunk of time off when my computer took a dump. But it's been awesome. <laughs> I just, uh, without spoiling anything, I just uh, freed a civilization of people by uh, flooding a castle and attacking it with giant birds. Feels good saving people, doesn't it, Vince? You should try it more often. Oh, no, my part was just killing shit. All right, moving on. <laughs> Marty, you are up with Google. One second. Sorry, my headphones were pulled out because I leaned back and started cackling because of Vince. So I apologize. You're still up. I, I wouldn't want to listen to me either. I get it. Oh, no, I didn't hear. I didn't hear what you, Marty, what? Sadia? <laughs> You're up with Google. Okay. So at the gamers develop at the gate at GDC, which the initials are escaping me right now, uh, Google announced the Stadia platform, which uh, long story made short, uh, will be based on their their backbone, 7,500 nodes across 19 regions and 200 countries, where they are going to build their own platform. They are already working with Ubisoft Montreal and with id to port a number of games including uh, doom eternal and assassin's creed odyssey they also have hired a developer to lead their uh, their stadia first games um, basically uh, and they're leveraging uh, cloud technology and machine learning and all sorts of fancy words to basically say they're going to go uh, bring your own de computing device to play any game that you want, regardless of the game's alleged hardware requirements. As long as it's on their platform. As long as one, as long as it's on their platform, two, as long as you can afford it. Because one of the things that I went looking for, and I've seen mentioned multiple times in uh, more critical articles, is there's no discussion of price. Um, mm -hmm. It's coming out in 2019. So sometime this year, they're going to debut it. Um, there are a number of things that I am excited about when it comes to this platform. Um, like, I really do like this idea of being able to leverage uh, your ability to play anywhere with any device and to be console or PC-less, uh, because that would be fun for people like me. I, I want to use my platforms, uh, and I want to be able to play wherever, and I don't want to be locked into, you know, uh, windows to play games and then my Mac to do everything else. And I would, you know, don't, I would like to be able to play PlayStation games, um, not be locked into anything else, but that's not really the promise here. The promise is that they are building their own platform, which will let them play a number of games that the power level of, uh, and computing level that they're promising right now, uh, is better than any console and is a, fairly high-end machine there are higher uh but there's no pricing information um we don't know how much bandwidth this is going to take and for those of us who um who may have caps uh, I, mean, I think everybody's got a cap nope. on how much did what well you guys don't have a cap with your network nope i do not technically i don't i'm sure if i tried hard enough i could find one i mine is like God, is it 300 gigabytes? Is it like a 
it's it's a ridiculous by, by 2019 number. standards not a lot yeah it's it's higher than 300 gigabytes oh god i just dated you guys remember in um johnny mnemonic how he had like 80 gigabytes in his head literally he didn't have 80 gigabytes he had 80 megabytes yeah continue. 80 megabytes oh excuse me jesus <laughs> um he had a full zip disk going on i i've got i've got <laughs> graphs that ca- that are like more than what johnny mnemonic can fit in his head uh, on my hard drive regardless uh they're promising uh 60 frames per second at 4k uh fully surround sound hdr and projecting to the future 8k which doesn't even exist yet um or not at a commercial level it exists it's just not widely widely available yet yeah and it's just i mean not many services are doing completely 4k hd and my network doesn't support 4k streaming i mean i i just want to point out if you stream a 4k movie through netflix it's almost 20 gigs an hour yeah, yeah. and uh i'm thinking of and hulu's alleged 4k streaming it just never works looks right out here in chicago land on uh our Xfinity network because well that leads to another issue like the way we handle broadband the way we handle as a country some of the uh concerns that we have regarding uh net neutrality so, even yeah I, I think what you're getting at and just to sort of keep it condensed because you're kind of floating all over the place there Marty I love you but oh, yeah. you're, you're you're kind of wavering oh yeah they've promised a whole hell of a lot but they haven't exactly explained how or how much Yes. And that's the big problem. And the thing is, like, I, this is a really exciting thing for a lot of people. And I like the idea behind it. And I think a lot of people do, especially as we're moving to a culture that is more mobile, more like I think the last numbers that I saw for like building or purchasing PCs was like way the fuck down versus, you know, buying a phone. Because like if you're going to spend and buy a high end phone, that's almost a thousand dollars now. Or you can spend a thousand dollars on a computer. Most people are opting for the phone. And that's just how the technology is going. So having a platform that you can tap into remotely to play games that maybe you couldn't play on your home PC because it's a piece of shit. Great. Fantastic. But like you said, there are a lot of questions that are out there that are not being answered. And as we're starting to calm down from the high of the game developer conference, it's we're we're starting to ask these questions and Google doesn't have answers. And that's the most concerning thing, not just price, how much bandwidth per hour is it going to use? How much are the settings going to like? How much are the settings going to affect that? Are you working with ISPs in the local areas? Because, like your data caps, sure, most people actually don't have data caps in the United States. There's very few people, very few areas that that's actually legal. The problem, however, is we no longer have net neutrality, and so now you have packet shaping and throttling. And I guarantee you that ISPs are going to see 4K traffic for like video games going through. What the fuck is this? How can we make money off of it? And that's going to happen as well. And that's going to start bottlenecking people. And Google doesn't have answers for that because either they can't say who they're working with or they legitimately haven't. Now, the other side of that is Google has pissed off a lot of these ISPs already before even talking about this in particular because they bought up all of the dark fiber in the country. Literally all of it. There is no more dark fiber. They own it all. And that pissed off a whole lot of the the ISPs because they're now starting to push into their areas. What do you think is going to happen when a Google service starts pushing into those areas like this? It's also like uh, the Google Fiber project has uh, fallen off and it has done some good, but the Fiber project is not taking any more cities. Mm -hmm. Uh, In some of the neighborhoods where they put it, uh, they didn't dig the cables down far enough so that like, you know, a mid like in places like Kansas City, where you get weather like you do here, uh, potholes expose wires and cable, and there's shortages. And Google just said, "Ah, oh, well, that didn't work for us, so we're moving on." So this project can just be up and abandoned, like a number of other Google projects, like I don't know, uh, Google Wave, Orkut. Uh, Listen, we're Google still Plus. salty over Google Wave. Oh yeah, we? we are. Oh yeah, we are. <laughs> All those uh, poor show notes. It's uh, there are so there, this is more look, all the cloud means it's going to be on somebody else's server. They're going to have this nice well, little neat backbone for it, but there's so, not enough, so, uh, nothing solid to this plan yet, other than they've got developers and they've got their backbone. 
So here's what I think is, is going to be the main competition for this. And, and don't forget, there have been many game streaming services that have tried to come up and start and have failed because people don't want to adopt it. Um, one is the idea of cross-play because they say that they're going to have cross-play, but the consoles don't have to play nice with them. They're not required to, and they very well might not. But the other thing is services like Shadowplay, which we talked about, I forgot how many episodes ago, but within the last like dozen or so, I've been researching Shadowplay. I even tried Shadowplay uh, just to sort of see how it is. And it's actually pretty damn good. And what it is, is it is cloud-based computing, not cloud-based gaming. So when you purchase something through them, which is $25 a month, that's their price. It's hosted in one of their nine data centers around the world, which they are building more of. You get a dedicated machine and not just like a dedicated machine that shares power. You get a dedicated CPU, a dedicated GPU with no splitting, an up-to-date operating system with whatever the current operating system is of your choice, whether it's Windows 10 or the current version of Mac. Um, and then it all going to be updated with already plans to update those cards from uh, NVIDIA 1080s to NVIDIA 2080s in the coming year. They're doing this smart because here's the difference between what Google's presenting and what Shadow's presenting. Shadow's presenting a computer that you can rent for $25 a month and install your own shit on. That's it. You, you want it, you can remotely log in and install Steam, download your games. You can remotely log in and install the Blizzard launcher, install your games. You own the games just like you would everywhere else, and everything is open to you because they don't give a fuck what you do with it as long as it's not illegal. And that's pretty much it. And it's very, very good. No, I live on the Eastern Coast, just like, you know, many of us here. My latency when I was testing it never went above 90 milliseconds. That's massive for cloud-based, like, computing in general. That's fucking insane. And because it's general traffic that I'm just tapping into remotely, it's almost like streaming. It doesn't get throttled. It doesn't pick up the same, and it doesn't use the same amount of bandwidth. It is so low bandwidth that I think that's going to be the future, potentially, instead of a cloud-based gaming system where it's just a game streaming service. I think that's going to be what to watch for. Platforms as, as a service instead of literally gaming as a service. Yep. I think platforms as a service is going to be the way to go because of how hardware is going. Like people want to want to own computers or have access to a high-end computer or a game system or something of that nature. But again, components are expensive. And when most of your stuff's produced overseas, natural disasters drive that price way the fuck up half the time. I mean, look how we just, we just started recovering from the memory and storage debacle of the last like five years. It's finally starting to come down to reasonable prices. But even then, like a good gaming system is going to cost you 15, you know, two grand, something in that mark. And most people don't have that now. Like the economy is not exactly doing the greatest right now. And people don't have that spare money, but 20 bucks a month. That's something most people could probably scrounge up. And then it's not like a rent to own thing. It's it's yours as long as you pay it. I think that's going to be the future as far as services go. Well, I think that it's an, an impressive service. I don't think that it'll catch on with enough people to allow it to continue long enough. And I think the same thing is going to happen with Google. That's just my my take on it. But I, I don't think that the average person will be that gamer. I think that the people who really want to game on PC will buy better PCs so that they can. And those who are still gamers, but it doesn't matter to them as much, will own the consoles and won't care as much about their PC. I mean, Vince, how long did you have that piece of shit before you bought this new one? Oh, God. And Six, seven years? And here, like, we know he... It wasn't a piece of shit. Well, let's be honest, it wasn't the best. But you didn't use it as your primary gaming thing. You gamed on no. PlayStation, so. So I think that, unfortunately, that's what's... I think that, again, if I'm forecasting, there'll come a point where the PC kind of thing is just going to stable off for the most part, but I think it'll be the consoles that continue to climb in terms of having more users come to those consoles i i i again i wish that that service that you're talking about did well but i don't foresee it will not enough to keep it going well, 
and we don't know what the future you may be absolutely right and that i think that you hit something on the head there with the whole you know the consoles the ease of use and things like that and i think until we get to a point where there's marketing based around that i don't think a cloud service will function like that like like i would like it to well, the other thing to keep in mind, and we both, well, everybody knows this, is that it's, I don't think the issue is the cap. And actually, up here, we do have more caps. Um, I don't have one, but I have to pay extra not to have one. Um, the issue is the stability and that, that goddamn ping. And we are constantly seeing issues with streaming like just playing online components of games oh God, or, or pixelation with netflix and shit like that exactly or yep. trying so, to record a podcast yep thank you very much i mean <laughs> something as simple as fucking discord doesn't always want to work so i don't have faith in this to stream a game in a way that will be enjoyable or reliable like I, I the first thing that I thought of, not because I'm I'm ever gonna play it or to bash on it, but as a perfect example, picture Anthem on that, where your connection <laughs> is severed or lagged enough that Anthem thinks it's severed, and then you get booted out for inactivity or any number of things, and because you don't get your loot until you're done, all that time was wasted, like. There's games that I know for myself specifically, I wouldn't even dare purchase on that platform for fear of such things happening. The other thing that, that I think strikes me about that as well is how inherently a system like that works. Because if you're streaming an interactive media to a location, so essentially you're tapping a source, that source is sending to you, you're putting an input, that input is then sending back to the source, and then the source is connecting to whatever. So if you're playing an online game like Apex, right? And that's on a separate server. That's not hosted by Google. Google has to reach out to that, even if it's being streamed through whatever the Google service is. So you have an extra layer of back and forth there that I don't know about you, but like I routinely see layer three out of Chicago shit the fucking bed and watch the East Coast cripple when they can't fucking reach half the servers on the West Coast with any sort of like, I don't know, normalcy. And then all of a sudden you have weird disconnects, authentication problems. You're adding in that extra relay. That's just asking for, for more trouble. And I mean, how do you compensate for that? And I don't know. That's a question that I know has been asked of them and they don't have an answer. They just say, Oh, we have all these nodes. It'll be fine. What does that mean? Right. What is a fucking node? Where are these located? What does it actually do? Because eventually it has to hit a centralized server location at some point, because that's how authentication and authorization works. So it has to go somewhere. So these are just relay points, at least the way that it's reading to me. So it's like, even then, even if this works as well as they say it is out of the box, I just look for that first fuck up, that first hiccup, just like you said, that first transatlantic fiber issue, that first transcontinental fiber issue, uh, that one random, you know, redneck with a shotgun sh shooting Florida fiber out of the air, which has happened. <laughs> I'm not joking. It has happened. This has no, been of outages. It's but like, awesome. When shit like that happens, how is it going to affect the rest of the network? So I don't know. Like I, I want the future. I want my sort of cyberpunk matrix going on, but I don't we're think not we're anywhere close. No, that's right. We're not like the other thing you're talking about it on a, on a, a larger scale, bringing it again right back to your home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is going to bring it back to the fucking days of dial-up where you have to make sure to tell people, don't use the phone because I'm <laughs> downloading something. <laughs> and this is going to be, don't stream anything on Netflix because I'm playing a game. Oh, well, and then you because... have to worry about if the if the ISP is going to, which traffic they're going to prioritize too. Yeah. Well, yeah. So there's, there's going to be issues where when you're playing, if anybody else in your household is either downloading something or watching a video, perhaps on their own systems or again, Netflix or whatever, then boom, you're going to suffer some, 
some loss, latency loss there, whether you like it or not. It's just going to fucking happen. And if you're in a shooter, guess what? You're likely dead. Yeah, and especially when they just released a study talking about what are the most important things to competitive gamers in such games like Battle Royales, and it's frames per second and latency. So... All right. Anyways, I think we have gone long enough. The episodes run a little long, too. So we're going to wrap it up. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find the show notes at ForTheLore.com. And you can also find us on Twitter at ForTheLore. Individually, Joe is Loader ZJ, Vince is Samoti, and Marty is Officer Gleason. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to For The Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.